You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 8. The girl finally reached the field house after what felt like an endless journey through blinding smoke and dust. She burst through the doors of the Gallery of Champions, the thoroughfare between the field house and the pavilion, and untied her makeshift t-shirt mask, gasping for air. Standing among all the trophy cases and prize ribbons were about 20 or 30 students and teachers, poised for attack. It's okay, she choked, holding up her arms defensively. My name is Jeannie. I'm a student. We're barricading entrances, someone said. You got here just in time. You can't, Jeannie said. Others are coming. If they're not here in two minutes, a guy told her, then they're out of luck. A group of guys approached Jeannie and gave her a good scrutinizing, head to toe, to make sure she hadn't been recruited. Gil Berger. Dr. Gil Berger? Anyone know who he is or if he's here? She asked. A girl from the back spoke up. They're in the weights room, she said. The school president's with them. The group at the door finally released Jeannie and directed her to the weights room. There, by the cardio machines, Trent and Kyle were having a private, heated discussion away from the group. You could have gotten him over the skywalk, Kyle hissed. Dragged him if you had to. Trent snarled at him. No offense, Mr. President, but I'm not risking my life here. It's every man for himself. Cody was a good guy. You just left him, Kyle said. That kid was on death's door, Trent whispered. He would have never made it all the way to the field house. We would have all been killed or captured trying to save his ass. We agreed on this. Kyle corrected him. We agreed that we would sacrifice Cody only if the group's safety was in jeopardy. Our group was long gone by then. You could have saved him yourself if you weren't up Sid's ass, Trent shot back. Are you kidding me, dude? Kyle shouted. Say it again. I dare you. Gil came over and got between them. Settle down, he told them. Just then, Jeannie reached the entrance of the weights room. Is Gil Berger here? She called out. A girl named Sid sent me. Kyle pushed past Trent and raced over to her. Where is she? Is she here? Jeannie shook her head. I just left her at Connery Hall. She said something about a greenhouse. I don't know. Kyle ran a hand through his dusty hair. Are you kidding me? You let her go to the greenhouse? He took Jeannie by the shoulders and shook her. What is wrong with you? Gil sprinted over to Kyle and pried him off the girl. Kyle, get a hold of yourself. Jeannie angrily pushed Kyle once Gil had his arms. I am relaying a message, creep, she said, backing out of the room. Wait, I'm sorry, Kyle said, his arms still in Gil's surprisingly firm grip. Did she say anything else? I knew Ben, her boyfriend. I was with him right before the bomb went off, Jeannie said. I'm pretty sure he's toast, and that's what I told her. Oh, God, Kyle said. I have to find her. He broke away from Gil and grabbed a mask. He raced through the gallery of champions. A huddle of guys trying to barricade the door stopped him. Not this way you're not, one of them said. Let me out. There's a girl out there, Kyle pleaded. You can't leave her to die. The guys formed a barrier of their own bodies, 
Kyle was not going to get past them by himself. He ran back toward the Hall of Fame display and took a left toward the football locker room. As expected, the doors to the field were only locked with a padlock and chain. Kyle scanned the room and found a fire extinguisher, which he used to try and break the lock. After a few unsuccessful attempts, it finally gave way. He threw on his mask and sped out onto the football field, running diagonally across to the spectator entrance. He noticed that the dust from the implosion was really starting to settle, making him a more visible target. It occurred to him that this mission was not well thought out, which was so unlike him. He scaled a chain-link fence and ran as fast as he ever ran in his life. In record time, Kyle reached the Agricultural Sciences Building and ducked into the alley which led to the greenhouse, where he really hoped to find Sid. In the distance, he could see numerous military transporters and even tanks lined up about a thousand feet from the imploded building remains. The soldiers stood, waiting. Kyle figured that now all the dust was settling, those troops would be moving in soon. To his utter delight, Sid was sitting in a heap outside of the greenhouse, right out in the open. He ran up to her and knelt beside her. She was sobbing inside of her mask. Sid, thank God, Kyle said, grabbing her. Come on, we're about to get rolled. We've got to get out of here. He tried to pull her up, but she resisted. Ben's not here, and he's not anywhere, she cried. I'm going to wait for him. Kyle knelt in front of her. Sid, we can't stay here. The smoke is clearing, he said, pointing to the sky. Ben's not here, so I don't care. If I get caught, I get caught, she said, removing her mask. I'm tired of it all. Put that back on, Kyle said, forcing the mask up over her face. You're going to breathe it in. So what? If I die, I die, she cried. I don't care anymore. Kyle grabbed her harder. Well, I care, and so does everyone else. You can't just give up. You have family, right? Sid shook him off feeling the sudden need to escape. It's too hard. I'd rather be a soldier with no soul. They probably took him, so I want them to take me. Kyle removed his own mask. If you're giving up, then so am I. No, she yelled. Cut it out. He shook his head and crossed his arms. Nope. He inhaled deeply to prove his point. You stubborn mule, she said. He hadn't let go of her arms, hadn't stopped staring in her eyes and she hadn't run away. Their faces were just inches apart when suddenly a whoosh of air passed over their heads. Drone, Kyle yelled. Without thinking, they ducked into the greenhouse and shut the door. But the drone could still see them through the glass or detect their heat. Seconds later, it began to fire at them. They ran the entire length of the greenhouse to the door on the opposite end as laser beams shot right through the ceiling exploding potted plants and tearing through bags of soil. They put their masks back on and flew out the back door. They ran to the next building, dodging laser beams left and right and ducked inside. Without speaking, they ran to the opposite end to where they could see the field house. For a moment, they stopped to catch their breath. Kyle removed his mask and Sid did the same. Okay, Kyle said, his breathing fast and heavy. The field house is about a half a mile. The doors are boarded up by now. We have to go across the football field and go in through the lockers. 
Sid nodded. How the hell are we going to outrun the drones, she asked. Kyle paced a quick three steps back and forth. Where's Dr. Berger when you need him, he whispered. Just then, Kyle had an idea. He hurried down the hall, followed by a confused Sid. Where are you going? What are you looking for, she asked. He dove into a men's room and Sid followed. Kyle frantically tried to pry a mirror off the wall from over the sink. She joined him, not sure exactly why. I think mirrors can deflect laser beams, he said, his tone uncertain. For real, Sid asked. I have no idea, he admitted, but it's better than nothing. They were able to get one mirror off the wall, then another. These are heavier than I thought, Kyle said. Do you think you can carry this and still run? He positioned it over her head and showed her how to hold the edge. Sid nodded. Piece of cake. She lied. Watch your fingers. This one is jagged. She yanked her sleeves over her palms. Got it? He asked. She nodded. Moments later, they were racing toward the football field, mirrors over their heads, with an angry drone on their tail. Then another drone appeared, and another, sounding like a swarm of locusts. Without warning, a fleet of military trucks turned the corner and started coming for them. Keep going, Kyle screamed at Sid. I'll take care of them. No, Sid screamed. But before she could protest further, Kyle cut left and ran off. Go in through the locker room, he screamed to her. A drone fired at her, its beam deflecting off her mirror. The beam angled right and blew up a thin tree nearby. The mirror became white hot, burning her hands. Sid shrieked, tossed the mirror, and broke it into a million glittering pieces. Without missing a step, she sprinted toward the football field. Meanwhile, Kyle ditched the mirror and made a mad dash for the tennis courts. He scaled the fence, then kept running, hoping one of the doors would still be open. The military trucks rammed right into the fence, but the fence buckled and somehow held on. The recruits, at least 20 of them, hurled themselves out of the trucks and began to scale the mangled fence, chasing Kyle on foot. Kyle, a former one-semester member of the JV diving team, remembered there was a door in the back of the aquatics pavilion that led to the water polo coach's offices. He hoped there would be somewhere to hide or some way to defeat those heartless pseudo-robots on his tail. Heartless, he thought. And suddenly, Kyle knew just how to lose the recruits. He burst into the windowless pool area, which was completely dark. Anyone coming into this room might not even realize the pool was there, if they couldn't smell the chlorine, which is exactly what Kyle was counting on. He closed the doors and ran down the length of the pool to the other end, knowing the recruits were right behind him. He grabbed a defibrillator box off the wall, opened it, pushed the on button, and crouched down at the other end of the pool, waiting as his eyes adjusted to the darkness. The doors exploded open, followed by a rush of recruits all trying to get inside the room. In their haste, the entire idiotic mass of them marched directly into the pool, which was precisely Kyle's plan. Kyle tossed the cables into the water and pressed the shock button then jumped back, electrocuting the entire lot of them. Most of the recruits in the water stiffened up, convulsed, then sunk to the bottom like rotted-out tree trunks. The only sound was the splashing of the water as they submerged. A few of them floated, only their eyes above the surface. 
Kyle stood against the wall, hyperventilating. That crap worked, he laughed. But his relief and self-aggrandizing were short-lived when he remembered that Sid might still be out there, alone. Moments later, he was cutting through the indoor squash and volleyball courts to the southeast end of the main field house. It took him five minutes to finally reach the rest of the group, but since he wasn't sure if Sid had ever made it back, it felt more like hours. He burst into the weights room, breathing hard and heavy. Sid turned around and dropped her chin to her chest. Thank God, she whispered, then walked up to him and they hugged enthusiastically. I wasn't sure you, Kyle began and Sid nodded. I know, she told him. She winced in pain when he tried to grab her hands. He looked down and saw that they were singed with angry red blisters. Sid tried to laugh. Laser beams are hot, it turns out, she said. He guided her over to their supply packs and they sat down together. You have to get these taken care of, he said. Wait, she said, before letting Kyle treat her burns. She gingerly reached her hand into her pocket and removed his letter, handing it to him. No, you keep it, he said, but Sid forced it back into his hands. I will not, she said. He looked at her, wondered if she'd read it, wondered what she meant. But then Jeannie came over and sat by them. You guys look cozy, she said, her voice a tad sarcastic. Kyle looked puzzled, but Sid understood the subtext. Yeah, she said, matching her tone. It's been a real party. Sid hopped up and marched off. While you were off being Mr. Hero, we were here making weapons and stuff, Jeannie told Kyle, pointing to their new stockpile of sports-related weapons. They were baseball bats, lacrosse and field hockey sticks, and all kinds of medieval-looking flails made with sticks and chains and weights on loan from the weight room. You know she has a boyfriend, right? She said. Kyle gave her a scornful eye. Let's not lose focus, he told her. She let out a puff of air like a scolded child. I talked to the others out there. They're gathering on the practice field, planning an attack. Going on the offensive, you know, she said. You all need to come out and get involved. Kyle got to his feet and walked away from Jeannie. Gil, he said, shaking the professor's hand. Glad you made it back, Gil said. That girl says the others are planning an attack? Kyle asked. Gil shook his head. We're going to go hear what they have to say. I'm not exactly on board yet. Kyle nodded. Let's go see what they know. He went over to Trent, who was sitting with Sam. We're going out to the practice field. You in? Trent nodded. He patted Sam on the back and walked toward the others. I'm sorry we couldn't save Cody, Kyle said to Sam. I really am. Sam looked up at Kyle. Are you? He stood and pushed past Kyle angrily. Seems to me there's a pecking order here of who deserves saving and who doesn't. He left Kyle and joined the others. Kyle decided not to delve any deeper into that observation. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell. Narrated by Andrea Fuller.